Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, everybody. I'm Ann Thompson, joined by Ryan Latanzio and the... Um, award season has taken off in a big way because the New York Film Critics and the Gotham Awards have been announced. And it's uh, there's some patterns emerging. There's some movies that are actually getting multiple uh, attention. I would argue, and you can argue with me if you like, Ryan, I would argue that the New York Film Critics have a lot more impact on the Oscar race than the Gothams do. But I would also argue <laughs> that that said, the um, critics are hardly predictive of anything that's going to actually happen at the Oscars. We can kind of go through it and see what what you think uh, is actually going to uh, repeat. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? What What is your takeaway from... From these two awards groups? Well, uh, you know, you, you are right about that in the sense that the Gothams are these more um, kind of obscure committees that are assigned to each category that choose the awards. And of course, this year, they lifted the eligibility cap. So, you know, it used to be that only films that were 35 million or less, and this has kept going up over the years, would be eligible for Gothams, right? But now they're at cap is no longer there. But I felt like the Gothams still did the winners overall uh, reflected an independent spirit for the most part. I mean, I, I did attend that event and, you know, I had a great time. I, I sat at the table and I watched the awards and I was there for this Robert De Niro moment that kind of went viral where his speech was uh, allegedly censored on the teleprompter. And it was a speech that was meant to be very damning of President Trump, as it often is. And so it was kind of, I don't want to say it was a boring award ceremony, but it is. it did follow this sort of tip pattern and then this sort of crazy thing happened that sort of brought everyone into a tizzy um the, the one but, but, the, but the gothams are not um you know they're barely uh online i mean you can they're the most bare bones uh award show it's not like anyone watches it no no i think at one point that the, the numbers for the stream on youtube it was like five thousand viewers or something unbelievable you know, i know it's like yeah. you know you, you, we get more people on IndieWire in five minutes you know that's right the point is is that somehow if a pattern starts to emerge like for example i can say that netflix must be happy that todd haynes may december is, you know, Charles Melton won Best Supporting Actor from the Gothams and and the New York Film Critics. So that's a, that's really uh, remarkable. That's a sign of strength. That could make a difference where people consider him differently. And he gets more uh, credibility, if you like, uh, going forward. But I feel like you don't necessarily agree with this choice about Charles Melton being the best supporting actor. I'm a little by this, actually. I am. I I've, I don't get it. Um, I wasn't impressed uh, to the same degree. I'm 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 wondering if I'm wrong. I'm wondering what I missed. 
you know, but May December is one of those movies where I, I'm often wonder, you know, I like one part of it, the part that has to do with the acting, um, you know, the, the Natalie Portman, uh, Julianne Moore um, imitation, uh, that whole thing and how she behaves, how Natalie Portman behaves and, and lures the guy played by Charles Melton, the husband into, um, you know, being, trying to seduce him. This is all fascinating to me, but there's a lot of other stuff going on in the movie that I don't think Todd Haynes fully um, pulls out, you know, in a good way. Now now that I've published a lot of my pieces about this movie, I can confess that the first time I saw it, I, I did, I felt a little bewildered by it. And, you know, this is not really an apt comparison, but it kind of reminded me of like the first time that I saw Gone Girl. I sort of walked out of it feeling like, I don't know how to feel about that. And then I kept going back to it and found so much richness and things to love about it. And so now that I've seen May December three times, I I feel like I understand it a little better in some ways, but also understand it less, which is kind of what's interesting about it. Charles Melton, um, I actually, I, I met him the other night. I was at a, um, a New York Tastemaker Academy screening reception for May, December in uh, Manhattan. And there were all kinds of people there. My, my favorite sighting of the group was Mikhail Barishnikov, the, the ballet <laughs> dancer, AKA the Russian. He's my generation. <laughs> of course, that was like my favorite sighting of all these people. But I did say this to Charles Melton. I was like, you know, I kind of, I wasn't sure how to feel about this movie the first time I saw it. And now it's like creeping up on me a little bit. And I think, and I, I will concede that maybe this is an issue of the movie and that it sort of demands that you see it again and again to sort of peel back the layers of the performance. But I do feel like what he's doing there becomes much more interesting the more you revisit it because, you know, he really is playing someone who's been groomed his entire life and into his early thirties. Um, and there, there's a scene later in the movie where he sort of like lays it all bare to Julianne Moore's character about like the particulars of the relationship and how it started. And she sort of casts the blame on him for quote unquote seducing her or whatever. Um, he was 12. I, I, he was 12, <laughs> which would be impossible. And I think she says, I think her lisp is even employed in this moment. It's like, you seduced me. <laughs> um, but she, but I, I think what he's doing is really interesting there. And I mean, look, we kind of all thought that Robert Downey was going to be the front runner for supporting actor, and he very well may continue to be, or right? Or even, because- or even Ryan, Ryan Gosling or Mark Ruffalo. I mean, where's Poor Things? Where's where where is Maestro? I mean, and these poor- are movies that are significantly absent from from the these are buzzy movies that are absent from these from these votes and lily gladstone won best actress in both of these um but i'm gonna argue uh, and and killers of the flower moon won best picture from the new york film critics i'm gonna argue uh a that it's been many years i think 2011 is the last time that a movie that was voted best picture by best film by the new york film critics circle made it to best film you know, Oscar, Best Picture Oscar. And that was the artist back back then. So they don't match up. They don't always match up at all. I think the only winner from last year that went on to the Oscars was Kei Huey Kwan, you know, from, from Everything Everywhere All at Once. So don't expect these to be predictive, but you can see support growing, you know. So Killers of the, but I'm going to argue this, Killers of the Flower Moon and May to December are critics films. They just are. They have had more support from the critics all along. And I believe over time, as we move forward into other groups like the guilds, 
that they will they will get less support than than the critics to have and, and killers of the flower moon for best film and new york film critics was such a new york film critics kind of choice i mean they adore martin scorsese he came last year and he waxed waxed rhapsodic about tar you know what i mean it's like he is a he's a towering presence so uh, tar was group. the big winner at the new york film critics last year and didn't get anything nothing at the, the oscars, oscars after six nominations so that this is just i'm just i'm just trying to be you know practical here um but davine joy randolph getting supporting actress that could go all the way to the oscars i and think I so the holdovers. i think so i believe in the holdovers and i believe that is she is the representative of the holdovers at Correct. this point in the race even Along though i the think screenwriter i would Right. Say. Other yeah. people are going to be represented, but she seems to be the face of it right now in the awards race. And, you know, speaking of things that are not predictive, but something I was very happy about with the New York Film Critics was Franz Rogowski winning Best Actor for Passages. I just interviewed him yesterday. I'm so glad I did that one actually now. Um, and it's funny because I was kind of talking to some uh, on Sunday. I was at a dinner for, of all things, the taste of things, which, of course, was the dinner that you have to go to of any dinner of any movie. I went to one and, at Telluride that was quite memorable with the chef uh, and everything, as was this one. And they they served a pot au and they did all the, the whole pageantry, you know, reflective of the movie. Look, I'm not like a whisperer among voters, but I did talk to some New York Films critics people and I said, you should consider Franz Rakowski. Like, that would be a really good one to uphold uh in your awards that movie's not getting any oscar nominations no it's it's not and i'm delighted that they did that they they had to they had to declare their independence and in some way so screenplay also may december not the strong suit of that movie i'm sorry i'm being awful but i'm uh, I don't think I don't know that may december will do as well with the oscars i i'll I'll, we, we shall see then the, the the documentary went to menu. Speaking of taste of things, right? I'm going to practice my French accent. Menu plaisir les trois gois. That's right. That's right. I mean, look, I don't speak that good French that well, but I, that that is correct as far as I know. But I mean, come Frederick on, Frederick Wiseman, it's wonderful. I'm so delighted. That, that one, I that one I could have predicted the New York film critics to award. Like he's such a New York quintessential filmmaker. That's, you know, they're always going to go for him. A big, big, big body of work. Um, and it's four hours. So I don't know that that's going to be one that. How many of them saw the whole thing? Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> no, 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 they're I rewarding it because they did, they did sit through it. Um, so animated film was uh, the boy and the heron. Also predictable. Miyazaki, very popular, very respected. Um, but you know, that'll go on to be nominated at the Oscars, but the front runner, I'm curious to see what happens at the Oscars there, because I would think that, um, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to the other, uh, animated, uh, Spider-Man movie that with won. Lord and Miller that won last time. So the question is, do they give a sequel the win again? And, and, and sometimes they don't. You know, no, as I mean, wonderful and, as it is. And do they and did they award a movie that was beloved by the public? That was a huge box office success. Right. You know, I mean, this is always like a philosophical difference in what, say, the microcosm of the New York Film Critics Award versus the Academy, which, you know, tends no, to so go. The animation in the and shorts, yeah, right. The animation and shorts branch is, is smallish. 
and they're very specific and they have very specific tastes. And then there's a, you're allowed to vote if you're in the, if you sign up for, for it, you know, you're, you, anybody can vote for animation feature now, but I'm curious to see how that goes. It's, it's a, it's a question of whether they consider the animation to be extraordinary in the storytelling. That's what it comes down to. I mean, I mean, and, and what boy and the heron does is, is amazing, but so same with Spider-Man, you know, and same with something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like there are real, real, like animated cinematic so the boy accomplishments. And the heron and is, is more about the past and the, you know, the, the um, extraordinary respect they have for, for Miyazaki. And then, um, but the, but the, but the Spider-Verse movie is much more um, about the future and, and how Lord and Miller and their teams have just radically changed and expanded the possibilities for animation. And I would think that would have a lot of, of supporters. Well, the only other thing I want to bring up in terms of these awards is that the first film went to past lives at the New York Film Critics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which won the Gothams. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing for for that movie that needs needs support going going forward. And, and you know, with the New York Film Critics, I understand that they don't, they try not, they sometimes will give a best first film to a best film, but they try and they tend to try to split those awards. Um, and Past Lives is one I maybe thought they would give the big prize to. Um, you know, actually the other, I don't know if it was unexpected, but it's still kind of an interesting choice for this group was Christopher Nolan for best director for Oppenheimer, which that's another one that does seem like a, a like, that will likely that, that, will that will repeat at everything. And they gave cinematography also to Oppenheimer. So Killers of the Flower Moon had two wins. May, December had two wins and Oppenheimer had two big wins. Those are big wins. But, but I am surprised that there's no, um, yeah, as we mentioned, there's no poor things to be found here. No Barbie. No um, Barbie. I, I can see there maybe wouldn't have been room for Barbie here, but Poor Things was one I thought they would. I know. I, I'm surprised as well. The documentary went to uh, at the Gotham's. Went to four doctor, four daughter, four daughters, which is an interesting choice. I don't know how far that one's going to get on the other side of uh, on the Oscar equation. And they gave um, the Breakthrough Director Award at the Gotham's went to A. V. Rockwell. For a thousand and one, which I love, which is going to be a spirits contender, big spirits contender. Definitely. I mean, I think that's going to rack up multiple spirit nominations when those get announced on December 5th next week. So it's, you know, it's early. Um, but, and that's also and we got the Globes of... coming up, the Globes nominations, too. We're in the thick of it now. The yeah, Globes know... is going to be interesting because... The thing about the Globes is that it's an entirely, not entirely, let me put it another way. There's the old uh, Golden Globes Hollywood Foreign Press membership that's still in there, a sort of core group, um, smaller than it used to be, maybe 50, 60 people, whiter than the rest of the group. And the rest of the group is all over the place, from every country, from across the world. Yeah, very more, much more um, erudite, more more film critic-y. You know, not not so much Hollywood foreign press, you know, covering the the waterfront. These are more film critics. I'm curious. It's going to be a very different. There's like thousands of them, you know, not hundred, not less than a hundred. No, it's it's interesting you bring that up. And because there there's a movie that we both now can talk about that we've seen that feels like a movie that in the old order of the Golden Globes would be like a big Golden Globes nominee for like best musical, best actor in a musical, which is Wonka. 
<laughs> well, it still is. I'm sure it still will be. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I have to suggest that the block of voters that that still is there will have some impact, even if if because the others could be spread out around other. I don't know how to explain it. I, I, this will be very telling. We need to. It'll be a new a new world to to examine how they because you do they still break up the categories the way they used to. Barbie is a comedy, you know. So that has to have a lot of of uh, advantages in its category. Yeah, I mean, it's like, are we going to see something like a Jennifer Lawrence for Best Actress in a comedy yes, for are. no hard feelings? Exactly. So, <laughs> that's, and that's very much the kind of thing we would have seen before, you know. Comedy, comedy. Co- in a comedy, of course. Yeah. yeah. So that's what's going on there, and also Anatomy of a Fall uh, did well um, with the with the Gotham's winning two screenplay and international. And it so, won international for the New York Film Critics. Yeah, so that's well. doing very well. That's a popular movie, in Anatomy of a Fall, even with its length. I, you know, at IndieWire, we're working on all of our year-end kind of coverage, and so I rewatched that movie. I hadn't seen it since August, and it's really powerful. Like it really is not just Sandra Hewler's performance, but just on the filmmaking level, it's it's really spectacular. And that's not one I want to see get forgotten in the mix, even if it's it not representing France. It's not representing France, which means it has to win some, it has to get in, in other categories. But I wouldn't be surprised if that landed a Best Picture nomination, honestly. Wonka at the Oscars is another matter. I loved it. Okay. I, I really did. I enjoyed it very much. It's, it's from the Paul King Paddington Bear universe, right? As if it were, as if it were married to the Roald Dahl universe. And it is, it is, you know, the character Wonka comes from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that he wrote. So, but it's a whole new story and it's, but it's got the, <laughs> the, the is it Lumpa Lumpa? What, what, what is the name of the Wumpa Lumpa? What is it called? Wumpa Loompa. Wumpa Loompa. So that's Hugh Grant, miniature Hugh Grant, hilarious. And the villain is, is Olivia Coleman. I mean, you can't go wrong. I mean, there's some great stuff in here. Can you go? I think you can go wrong. Uh, with this one, oh, I don't know, Anne. I got to really disagree with you on this one. I felt like, look, maybe the perspective I'm looking at it is from there. I really felt like there was nothing for adults here, at least for an adult such as myself, uh, who purports to be one. I found it to be grotesque and horrible. I, I don't, I just really. Really? Yeah. And I found it light on its feet, delightful, charming. I I thought it was boring as hell and boring to the point where I couldn't even follow it anymore because I felt like the plot was so inane. The central sort of dilemma with Wonka, and I I apologize, I have not, I'm not that familiar with the doll text, but sort of his issue is that he's illiterate. And so he's sort of confronting this and sort of this is one of his sort of one of his motivations and he's this developing a relationship. What I would put front and center as as far sure, as that sure. story but goes. Sure, sure. But it stood, it stood it's out more about getting his star. his money to make his chocolate. The, the, there, and the there people, is sort of, the corporate forces that are arrayed against him. The, there is sort of a perverse thing that we, and I'm contribute to this as well, that the news desks in the industry sort of do is like when the reactions for a movie like this drop, it's like we do this first reactions post where everyone is fawning over it and sort of I'm, I'm sort of looking at the ones that that aggregated all of these on Tuesday and it's a lot it's a lot from people who tend it's sort of these junket groupies that I tend know, to give really positive yeah. reactions to things and like even one of them was like oh this movie is a delicious wonderful confection but I have serious problems with poor things and I'm sort of like 
I don't know if you should be the one out there making this, these kind of calls. Um, well, we probably make too much um, of a fuss over these first reactions. We know exactly who they are. Maybe we should say who they are. Maybe we should be more, maybe put it in the right context when we write those stories. Also, in the early interviews about this movie, Paul King said that he cast, well, he cast Timothy Chalamet without an audition at all, which fine. It's Tim- Timothy Chalamet. That makes sense. But he said that he sings like Bing Crosby. And I'm like, really? Like true. his singing is sort of more akin to like musical theater karaoke. He's, he's, he's there's nothing against Timothy Chalamet. I adore him and his work, but it's like, can't really sing and he can't really dance it isn't and the, i don't it isn't know that he the, carries the movie that well it isn't musical theater uh warbling uh he doesn't have a beautiful tenor but he's it's a more conversational style of singing which i actually think works very well in a contemporary movie like this and i found his singing perfectly pleasant i i enjoyed it it was it was absolutely fine and it's it's opening December 22nd. It's going to be a really big family Christmas movie. Uh, you know, these are the kind of things that Paul King delivers very well. And so for that, it succeeds on those terms. But I got to say, I don't share in your love for this one. um so uh what is still to to be seen you still you have to catch up on a few things ryan right what are you gonna catch up with soon I've got to catch up with Origin. And I, I still have with, to do that, too. i got to catch up with the color purple. So we're going to do those. But, you know, it's, it's coming And you're along. seeing American Fiction tonight? Yes, yes. And I know you're a really big fan of that one. And that's opening in a couple weeks as well. And that's one that a lot of people are predicting to be a big contender in Which the Best Picture race. In any of these critics groups. If I were the people at... at um, Maestro, I'd be I'd be a little unhappy, but I think I think these films, Poor Things and Maestro will do very well when the time comes. uh, No, it's true. And I think Maestro is going to be one that gets a ton of Academy Award nominations. But it is interesting that it's not resonating so much with these groups Though we did get a sort of tribute, albeit one that was you know, bought to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. They helped pay for the event, (laughs) pay for my dinner. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it is still it's still a factor in these things. But that is one I thought maybe would figure a little bit more into near film critics, because there is a real passion for that one among that, that group that I can attest to. Yeah. No, it, it's a question of what knocked what out. Um, as far as Maestro um, in L.A., there was a lovely lunch that uh, Netflix threw at the Sunset Tower Hotel uh, with Carrie Mulligan at one end of the table and Matt Bomer at the other. And I got to sit next to Carrie Mulligan, which is very nice. And it's these things are very interesting. The, the, you, you've had a range of people from the trades and the various newspapers and and, um, you know, alongside uh, you know, on either side of the table. And it was a conversation that was sometimes about Maestro. Like I learned more about the um, that kind of improv session, dream session that Bradley Cooper orchestrated where they all had these, that's where they came up with the idea for sitting back to back. And and she came up with the idea for playing the game. Um, some from her from her youth. Uh, so, so, so I, I didn't I did not appreciate how much uh, improvisation there was that Bradley Cooper really encouraged that on the movie. Um, so that was, you know, I like learning these things. That's what's good about these events. You know, to, to meet Dominic Sessa, the young man who uh, makes his debut in uh, The Holdovers, was to meet 
somebody very young and possessed and already in college now studying theater at Carnegie Mellon, you know, and I, I was just delighted by that. You know, he, he was, he, he was, I was literally talking to someone who had was attending his first promo event like that. I, I, I would love to talk to him then and then see where he's at at the end of all of this, right? Because it's you like you don't get to see the virgins very often. No, no, you don't. <laughs> and it's lovely to talk to someone who's not super jaded and not to like go back to Charles Melton again, but just talking to him at that event earlier this week. I mean, he's really only known, I mean, and widely known, really popular from the show Riverdale, but he is this, he is totally alien to this whole world. And he's going to have to get used to it because he's going to be at a lot of these now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it goes on and on and on. So what else are we watching? Um, you and I both checked out the first uh, couple of episodes of the fifth season of Fargo. Yes, and because I, I just desperately needed some counter-programming from all this stuff. So now I've been watching Fargo. I'm current on the first three episodes. I actually confess I didn't watch the last season, but I had seen the previous three. You know, there was the Ewan McGregor one. There was another with Kirsten Dunst, and then obviously the, the, the first one. Um, and this is the Noah Hawley show for Netflix that sort of expands. And they put new people in each season. That's right. It's like All an anthology cast. series, really. How far, how, how far are you along? So I got two one? episodes in. I was astonished by the way they opened it, you know, which, which only serves to... Uh, it, it's sort of like poor things in a way. Uh, in, in other words, you're, you're in an alternate universe. You're not entirely in the real world. And they have to establish that right off the bat so that this that you you open up in the middle of a, of, of a school board meeting where everybody's attacking each other. And and the uh, the woman who we're following, who is absolutely terrific, um, a British actress who I've been a fan of for a long time. She knows Temple. Yeah. She was very good, by the way, in in the movie that they made about the making of The Godfather. Did you ever see that? It was a oh, series. The series. No, I didn't watch that one because it was excoriated Plus, by critics. And so I avoided it. I loved but, it. I actually loved yeah. it. And and Miles Teller was actually good in it. But anyway, I was fascinated by it. But this, she was good in that, too. She plays American very well. And in this case, she's playing Fargo, Minnesota American, which is hilarious. Yeah. And what we find out is that this Minnesota persona, this Minnesota nice persona that they introduce is not quite exactly who she is and she has ties to, and now that you've seen the first two episodes, you have now seen John Hamm with the nipple rings, which Unbelievable. are prosthetic. And it's really, and, and he is sort of this, it almost seems like he's a cult leader. We don't totally know what's going on with him, but he's, he's supposedly connected. the sheriff. Right, right. But there is something shady going on with his connection with the Juno Temple character. And it's really nice to see him. I, this, I can already tell just from the two episodes that he's in, it's like this is going to be one of his best roles since Mad Men. Oh, he's, really and think. he looks fabulous too, by yeah. the way. Yeah. There's this and, great and, scene where he's in a hot tub and he's he's taking a meeting in the hot tub and they obviously want to meet with him in, in person, you know, not in the hot tub. So he stands up <laughs> and gets out. <laughs> and, and, he, and he doesn't have a, um, and this has always been true of John Hamm, he doesn't have like a, he's got a bit of a dad body. He doesn't have like a perfect physique, which is what's sort of appealing about him. You know, he's like a little bit pudgy in certain places. You're um, coming from a different perspective, Ryan, right, I would right. suggest to you. <laughs> I am coming from a, the Perhaps a more persnickety, yeah. young <laughs> perspective. I will tell you that John Hamm looked fabulous. Absolutely <laughs> fabulous. 
well, I, I'm really excited to keep watching that show this season. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's very witty and and sharp and unexpected and fun. Uh, it takes turns that you don't you, you don't see coming. So I'm I'm really uh, oh, and Jennifer Jason Lee is playing this woman's mother-in-law, and so the two of them are pitted against each other in a fight to the death, and you, you don't know who's going to win. Really. Yeah. And she's sort of like this. Uh, uh, she's this very conservative kind of CEO. She assembles a family picture where she asks that everyone be holding guns. It's very it's always really wonderful to see her around because she's sort of, you know, she's been on the margins in recent years and maybe even since Hateful Eight. But I mean, she's always she has this sort of dry sort of de- demeanor, this comportment that I just is sort of her signature that I just I always love to spend time with. It brought me back. I mean, remember that that Fargo is, you know, on some level inspired by the Coen Brothers movie and Jennifer Jason Lee starred in the Hudsucker Proxy. That's right. That's right. Many people don't remember. Yeah. There's one of her one of her early roles. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll get back on uh, on the case next week. And next week we have a special guest on the show. We uh, we have um, one of our live interviews that we do every every month or so. Um, we have Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman, the partners at T Street Productions, who made Fair Play and American Fiction. And we've talked to them. And next week, and you and I will be in the same room uh, doing the podcast together. He's coming to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> because we've got our big um, IndieWire Honors event, which will be exciting. We're going to be giving out awards to the likes of Todd Haynes and Greta Gerwig and Lily Gladstone. And Lily Gladstone. All right. See you then. Look forward. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.